Hello and welcome to I'd Rather Be, a podcast about the hobbies and passions that make our lives fuller and richer. I'm your host, Katia Rucker. Today's episode is I'd Rather Be Bonsai Gardening. In each episode, we dive deep into a different hobby and the story of someone who has made it a major priority in their life. And if you're ever curious enough to try one of these activities out for yourself, I do my best to include practical tips about how to get started. For today's episode, I had the opportunity and the privilege to interview my very own mother-in-law, Lori Herlin, about her passion for the art of bonsai and miniature gardening. In what may sound like an oxymoron, Lori has created a 100-foot-long miniature garden that lines the side of her driveway, and it's filled with bonsai trees. It has a little stream running through it, and miniature details like a bench swing hanging from a bonsai, and a little patio with a table and chairs. A person who's about three inches tall would be about the right scale for these little chairs and benches, which means that Lori's 100-foot garden would be almost half a mile long if it were at a true human scale. Here's Lori talking about what led her to become so passionate about miniature gardening with bonsai trees. So I had sculpture and photography as hobbies like since college, really, Mm -hmm. and have this kind of need to create things, you know, a very strong drive. I'm not happy if I'm not creating things. Unfortunately, I have more ideas than I have time to implement them. Mm-hmm. But that was mostly focused on sculpture and photography initially. And then in my last house in Houston, I got really into gardening and spent a lot of time developing the yard and the, and the garden. When Lori and my father-in-law, Bob, retired, they moved from Houston, Texas to Asheville, North Carolina. They were ready to say goodbye to those sweltering Houston summers. And Asheville brings the variety of four seasons, none of which is super extreme. Every time we visit from Boston in the winter, I get very jealous. And Lori took those three main hobbies with her, sculpture, photography, and gardening. And she spent her first few years in Asheville landscaping her yard and learning about the variety of plants she could grow each season. So it was really after about that three to four years of initially focusing on the yard that a friend of mine got me interested in bonsai by inviting me to her house for a class. She had somebody coming to show her how to do a bonsai tree because she was interested. She now has two bonsai trees and I have over a (laughs) hundred. So, um, you know, because of the sculpture and gardening, bonsai was sort of a natural for me because it's like sculpture with trees. You know, you're actually sculpting a live thing and you're having to fold in understanding how the tree wants to grow and how it's going to grow as part of how you plan sort of what you're doing. So I really got into it and it was the creating of the trees that was the fun for me, not just looking at them. I do enjoy looking at them, but, you know, mm-hmm. I kept buying plants. I would go to nurseries and I would look for plants with small leaves and small flowers that grew slowly or that were dwarf that start out not going to be out of control. And I would bring them home and I would turn them into bonsai trees. And it was um, it was fun. You know, I had fun doing that. So what exactly does it mean to turn a tree into a bonsai? I asked Lori to kind of set the stage and explain the core purpose or goal of bonsai. Well, it's to have a a tree that is small, that looks like a tree you would see out in the real world. So it's a miniature version of a real tree. And it's growing instead of in the ground, it's growing in a pot. And the, the bonsai is a combination of the tree and the pot. And 
they spend a lot of time picking the right pot and the mm -hmm. right shape. You don't want the pot to detract overly from the tree itself, but the right pot can really enhance the way the tree looks. And so it was really kind of bringing the outside in, so to speak. Mm. So the goal is to really to make it look like a big old tree. And so what do old trees have? They generally have big trunks. They have branches that sort of droop down and then grow back up again that's, that spread. A lot of times they've been damaged by different natural you know, mm -hmm. weather events and things. And so they're not perfect and they have interesting shapes and the more gnarled and twisted and things, the more interesting sometimes they can become. This idea of imperfection in bonsai trees, whether from damage or from the wear and tear that comes from years of exposure to both good and bad weather is linked to the Japanese aesthetic, or some might even call it a philosophical teaching known as wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi is about accepting and really appreciating the beauty of imperfection, impermanence, and incompleteness that is a part of nature. This is why the perceived old age of a bonsai tree matters, because if it has dead branches or an older-looking trunk, it makes you think about the passage of time and seasons that can wear down on any living thing. Applying this concept to life more broadly, by accepting the idea that nothing is permanent and nothing is perfect, we're free to live in the present and even face difficult life events without resistance or denial. Of course, all of that is much easier said than done. But who knew something as simple as a potted plant could bring these ideas to life in such a literal form? So in the art of bonsai, what I've discovered is that there's a lot of manipulation that goes on <laughs> to make things look much older and, um, than they really are, and to, to create these effects that happen over long periods of time. And you can take a brand new nursery plant and you can make it look a lot older mm -hmm. and you can create dead branches and things, um, you know, on purpose from live branches to, to get it to look like it would look in nature. A little later into the episode, we'll talk about the things Lori and other bonsai growers do to achieve these effects that make their trees look like they've aged naturally in a forest. But for now, I want to circle back to Lori's rapidly accumulating collection of bonsai trees and how her vision for her 100-foot miniature garden came to life. Um, the problem is I got so many of them. I had them all out on tables on my deck. I ran out of room. And then in the winter, they have to be uh, winterized, so to speak. And um, so I decided to, um, to put some plants in my front yard. I had a lot of old landscaping that was kind of mm -hmm. had grown outgrown its space and wasn't that great to start with. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I built this raised bed to put some of my bonsais in as training because having them planted in the ground lets them develop more quickly and grow more quickly if they're mm -hmm. not already the size that you want. Right. Yeah. So, and everybody's always wanting fatter trunks when you're doing bonsai because that indicates sort of age of tree and that kind of thing. So um, once I put the raised bed in, I um, the rest of the driveway didn't look like it fit in very well. So I thought, well, I'll just do a miniature garden in, in part of the flower, the flower bed. And I was going to do just like a little short section, you know, maybe 10 feet long. And I, I built some mosaic patios down in my sculpture studio over the winter. And when I went to place them in the garden, it took up about 50 feet <laughs> wow. to spread them out and, and get the look I was looking for. Because I wanted little sidewalks and a little running stream, stream mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you're halfway down, the, I might as well finish, you know, because it looks funny to just have regular big plants then starting up after that. 
So I, I um, uh, made this hundred foot long miniature garden, maybe the world's largest <laughs> miniature garden, but um, the, it became um, a home for my my bond. It gave me more room to have more bonsais and training, right? For because I had a hundred feet to work with to have these pots planted in the ground where they can survive the winter that way. You don't have to do anything mm. to them. They look cute in the miniature garden. It's mm-hmm. you know they are look like little trees, and so it gives you a much more realistic look. So I was really after trying to develop a miniature garden that would look like some estate, you know, and had groundskeepers mm-hmm. and, you know. This is where Lori departs from the traditional practice of bonsai, which is really focused on the contemplation of a single tree in the shape of its trunk, branches, and foliage in its pot. Because bonsai trees are around the size of most houseplants, I had the misconception that people kept them indoors, and that Lori's bonsai trees would actually have a harder time surviving outside in her garden year-round. I mean, do you have any bonsais that just can't survive out in this climate? No, most most bonsais really are, um, they're trees. They're things like pines and junipers mm-hmm. and spruces and things that are perennials, and they have to live outside. You can't keep them in the house. Okay. They'll die if you try to raise them in the house. There's tropicals, like ficus trees. And, or like a banyan would be a tropical. Yeah that can live indoors if if they have proper humidity you know a lot of times yeah yeah, a lot of times um people you know try to grow bonsais in their house and they die and it's because it's too dry Mm -hmm. and like i have a um, bonsai expert that helps me and he has some tropicals and he keeps them in his bathroom in the winter Mm -hmm. because they get you know he turns the the shower on and they get steam from the shower and that kind of thing so a tree really needs to be a tropical species, like a ficus, to survive indoors as a bonsai. Some of the most popular bonsai species are junipers and Japanese maples, both of which need to spend their lives outdoors. Lori has these and many other tree species among her bonsai collection, but she's also discovered that ordinary bushes or shrubs make great bonsai candidates because their low trunks get super thick and old-looking right away. When I first saw her miniature garden, I had no idea that around half of what I was looking at would be those low-to-the-ground, dense, unremarkable shrubs if Lori hadn't seen the bonsai potential in all of them. I'm What I'm doing is taking bonsai techniques and applying them in gardening, really. A lot of my stuff is in not in pretty bonsai pots that are small. They're in larger pots that let the tree grow more easily mm-hmm. and... Um, and develop because most of mine are, I, I started this, you know, when I was in my sixties. So I don't have 20 years to wait for my tree to develop. I have to kind of move it along a little faster or else buy an older tree, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why pulling old bushes and things out of landscapes is a great way to get a really cool tree that can look old in a mm-hmm. hurry. And um, I have the, Japanese maples that I pulled out of one part of my flower bed and, and turned into bonsais. I left the big gold mops that are already planted in the ground. I almost took them out because I thought they were too big and they were really ugly. I didn't like them. And once I, I decided to try to trim them like a bonsai first and see how that looked. And I really fell in love with them after I did that because mm-hmm. it's a bright yellow spot even in the winter. Mm-hmm. So it gives you great color and, and they look like little trees now. Yeah. And, and the wood's very smooth and, yeah. and, you know, doesn't have that rough look of most shrubs. These gold mops, which are a kind of cypress shrub, have an enchanting and almost cartoonish look to them after all of Lori's shaping to expose their smooth trunks and branches. 
The foliage is kind of like that of the fictional trufula trees from Dr. Seuss's book, The Lorax. Along this fairy tale theme, if you were to Google miniature garden, all of the top results give you different examples of fairy gardens, as in gardens for those tiny human-like creatures with wings. And that's a whole world of its own. For example, in my Googling, I learned there's a fairy gardening festival in Ohio that happens in June every year. It seems like the reason miniature gardens exist, by and large, is to serve as a home for fairies. I don't know how much of a true overlap you'd find between bonsai and fairy garden enthusiasts, but I asked Lori whether fairies were any part of the inspiration for her miniature garden. I've resisted kind of the fairy approach, and my mom is much, she builds fairy houses, and she wants me to put little fairy doors and houses into the wall behind the miniature garden and have fairies in the garden, and my friends have wanted to bring little things over, you know, to put in there. It's tempting. It it's is. tempting. But I, I really um, think that having just the garden structure and the patios and the empty chairs lets you use your imagination as to who might be there visiting. Mm-hmm. And that's more fun than having a real thing there that mm-hmm. then, you know, right. focuses you on that. So I mean, a kid could be playing with all kinds of size of dolls mm-hmm. throughout. and Yeah, bring his dolls and play with the dolls yeah. in, in, the, in the garden. So yeah. I think it's just more... Um, imaginative that way than, than mm-hmm. having it too yeah. too full of stuff, you know. Right. Okay, so no fairies for now. I'll be sure to report back if I notice someday that Lori's mom's fairy doors or houses have snuck into the miniature garden. There's something that's just so tempting about a meandering sidewalk through a forest of trees that are 10 inches tall. The next thing I asked Lori was if she could take me through a deeper dive into the process of taking a tree or shrub from an ordinary looking plant and turning it into a bonsai. I asked her, how does it all start? Bonsais often are developed in the ground because that's when they're growing and getting big trunks and Mm -hmm. they're being trimmed so that they stay, the foliage stays tight and close to the trunk, but the trunk keeps getting bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they get dug up and put in a pot. Once you put them in a pot, they don't grow the same right. you know, speed and stuff. And so generally, you know, people may have bonsais in the ground for four or five years before they pull them okay. out and put them in a pot. So you don't typically start them in the right. pot. Some bonsai growers do elect to start their trees in pots. But to Lori's point from earlier, she wants to give her plants the chance to grow and develop more quickly. And even when a bonsai is started in a pot, it goes into what is called a training pot which is bigger than a pot you'd see holding a mature bonsai tree. The pot environment is highly controlled, and this is evident in the type of soil bonsai growers use. Is, bon- is bonsai soil meant to keep growth more? Like, does, Are the nutrients well, different? It's, um, it's actually totally inorganic materials. It's, huh, it's okay. like lava and pumice and clay and hmm. stuff, and it's to give you kind of control over the plant. So you have to water them every day sometimes multiple times a day wow you have to fertilize them every week yeah and then there's some other kinds of hard fertilizer you put in the in the dirt with them to Mm. kind of give them snacks in between when you're giving them the fertilizer so you're basically controlling you know kind of how much you give the tree to learn more about the bonsai cultivation process i visited a bonsai nursery called bonsai west in littleton massachusetts Bonsai West offers a wide range of services and education to everyone from beginners to advanced bonsai growers. A devoted volunteer-turned-employee, Joseph Kapusansky, showed me around the property. So this is our 
like outdoor classroom. Um, we've finished up classes really for the year, mm -hmm. um, but you know we'll offer a variety of classes from like very beginner to mm -hmm. you know intermediate and expert. We try to avoid the word expert here, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got to talking about the central challenge of maintaining the ideal pot environment to keep a bonsai tree alive and healthy. How precarious, I guess, is is the life of the tree. Right, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, if you compare, um, you know, a tree in the ground, um, uh, a tree, you know, in nature is, is completely fine. We don't need, you know, they don't, they don't need us at all. Um, but once we put that tree in a pot, it is almost completely dependent on us. So that's kind of the the responsibility that we take and and we do hold that, you know, to to a very uh, very closely, I guess. Lori tells me that some of the tasks that go into the basic care of the tree include repotting it every year or two, trimming it several times a year, making sure it has the right amount of fertilizer and treating it for bugs and fungus as needed. That's really one of the biggest challenges. You know, a lot of trees die deaths much earlier than what the tree could live for because of other mm. causes. And so, you know, just imagine flower pots that you've had for years. All of a sudden the plant dies because it didn't get enough water one day or it got too much and got root rot, you know. And so you're really having to, you know, growing things in pots is difficult to maintain that right balance of mm. everything the plant needs. Mm -hmm. This maintenance never really ends, whether a bonsai is 10 or 100 years old. But Joseph doesn't want this to discourage people and make them think they don't have what it takes to keep a bonsai alive. But we don't want to like, you know, we don't want to scare people off in that way. It's just uh, this becomes a lifestyle. You know, you yeah. start to um, you start to set your five minutes each morning <laughs> just to kind of check your tree, you know, look yeah. at the leaves, check the soil, see if it's moist. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, you know, mindfulness aspect of it, I could say. Absolutely, yeah. I asked Joseph what he thinks people find most rewarding about the process of creating a bonsai tree when they take classes with Bonsai West. I think um, technique is one of the big things, just because you'll, you'll see examples of work in person or on the internet, you know, you'll see photos of things. Um, and observing and studying other people's work is a really good way to start. But as far as the, the technique or the um, execution of it, um, it can kind of feel like you're um, a toddler, like playing in a sandbox where, you know, you're putting your wire on the tree and your wire is just an absolute mess. And you're like, okay, this will work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you, when you attend a class and you are, you know, you're kind of told, okay, like this is the angle that your wire is applied onto the branch. Uh, and this is how you should be moving your hand as the wire is going around the tree. It kind of, you know, it kind of opens up a, a lot more avenues for you. The heart of bonsai is really the shape of the tree the grower is able to create. And as Joseph mentioned, shaping happens primarily through wiring or wrapping wire around the branches of the tree to get them to reposition over time. I asked Lori what bonsai growers are trying to achieve through this shaping process. Is it about achieving the illusion of some kind of motion based on the way the trunk and branches curve? Well, the, it's, it's trying to create a pleasing shape that you mm -hmm. would like to look at for a yeah. long time. It's yeah. interesting, you know. 
and generally things that have show a little motion and things are more interesting. The motion can be very peaceful. It doesn't have to mm -hmm, be, mm -hmm. you know, you, you want the motion to be attractive, not um, discordant or causing you stress, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes when you look at things, that, if it's all jumbled up and you, you want to put some kind of order to it, you know, it right. feels yeah. stressful to look at it, you know. It might be hard to really break down why one bonsai is stressful to look at while another is peaceful or pleasing. But generally, you want your bonsai to mimic the proportions of a full-grown tree. So it wouldn't make sense to have a small or thin trunk, but a really long branch, for example. Bonsai growers also intentionally decide on a front view for their trees, which is the side of the tree that gets displayed when you're looking at it head-on. And viewers should be able to see into the tree without too much foliage obscuring their view of the branches. When it comes to turning shrubs into bonsai trees, Lori needs to coax a completely different shape out of the plant. But you kind of want pads like clouds, shapes, as opposed to just a solid helmet of a shape. Right. So something that is more shrub-like mm -hmm. requires a ton of maintenance yeah. compared to something. Right. And so, you know, like this, you can see all the way into the tree. And one yeah. of the sort of bonsai uh, design rules is that you, you, if you should be able to... Um, have a bird of appropriate size to the tree be able to fly through the branches of the tree, right? There has to be, you know, space in there. But see how these are just different pads yes. and there's space between them that gives you a peek to the interior of the tree. The bonsai Lori is showing me is a Hinoki cypress. And you can see a picture of this tree and the cloud-like effect Lori has created with the foliage on the I'd Rather Be podcast Instagram. Another intentional technique bonsai growers use to make their trees look old and austere is the creation of dead wood, where they preserve dead branches and dead sections of trunk on the living tree. A dead branch with no bark is called a jin, and a bare section of trunk is called shari. You're trying to make the bonsai trees look as natural as possible, and in the real world, branches die, and the conifers, they don't rot and fall off like they do on deciduous trees. They hang around and they turn white and get bleached out. So this has um, lime sulfur put on it to help it turn white and uh, it creates a contrast and it makes it look more like what you would see in the real, real forest. forest yeah. Lime sulfur creates the same bleached white look that the sun would create if it were beaming down on large dead branches over time. Joseph also weighed in on the overall aesthetic bonsai growers are striving for as they meticulously wire trim and tend to their trees you're not looking for that perfection you're kind of looking for um um i guess kind of natural randomness yeah right right <laughs> but still kind of calculated um mm -hmm. and so in a way when you're trying to play nature um your ideals are going to get in the way of kind of the the regular perfection mm -hmm. of, of what nature does on its own I could tell that, for Joseph, this was more than just a job. He was clearly as devoted to his cultivation of bonsai trees as Lori is to hers. So as we were wrapping up, I asked him what was really driving his personal commitment to, as he put it, the lifestyle of bonsai. Speaking very personally, I um, am one of those people who can't really sit still. Um, I'm always jumping from one thing to the next. And where it doesn't seem like bonsai is something that a person like that would be drawn to. I think just the seasonality of where we are always has me on my toes. I'm constantly shifting my gears from 
you know, spring to summer, okay, watering is going to kick up a lot. Um, summer to fall, okay, we got to start thinking about um, breaking things down again. So I think the enigmatic nature of it is, is really what, what draws me to it. I, I love seeing the changes of the, of the seasons. Um, we got all the blooms in the fall, in the, in the spring and in the, in the colors in the fall. There are so many reasons a specific kind of person might find joy or peace in a specific creative pursuit. For Lori, Bonsai allowed her to bring her love of sculpture and gardening together in an enchanting and sprawling miniature garden. For Joseph, it's that mystery, that enigma of playing nature in harmony with the passing seasons that has him captivated by bonsai growing. And I'm sure there are dozens of other reasons to fall in love with it. So there you have it. A glimpse into the miniature world of bonsai, and at least for now, hold the fairies. I'd like to thank Lori and Joseph for joining me on today's show. This was the eighth episode of I'd Rather Be, and it's a big milestone because its release date, February 1st, is the day before the due date of my first child. So if you're listening to this sometime after the first, chances are my life has already changed pretty drastically. But I do have the next four episodes queued up for weekly release. So for now, at least, the show will go on. But this means that I'd Rather Be will basically be on autopilot for the month of February. So I'd love it if you could help keep the momentum going in two ways. One, by sharing the show with friends or colleagues who also listen to podcasts. And two, if you haven't yet, by actually hitting the subscribe or follow button in whichever platform you're using. I've loved every minute of making the show and all the amazing feedback makes it that much better. So thank you for your support. I'd Rather Be was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Katya Rucker. Show notes for this episode can be found at idratherbepodcast.com. Have a great week, and thanks for listening.